You're listening to the Go and Tell Gals podcast, and I'm your host, Jess Conklin. In most of our episodes, we'll have a guest, a woman who is running on mission right where she's at. We pray this podcast leaves you encouraged and spurred on to go and tell the good news. Hey friends, today is a different kind of episode on the Go and Tell Gals podcast. It is an interview and it's an interview with my new friend, Monique Melton, but I want to tell you on the front end, it's an interview filled with honest and hard and humbled questions. And it's an interview that really details how our relationship began in light of those questions and with those questions. Monique is doing beautiful work in the racial diversity, racial unity space. And I have grown to be really grateful for her and be really grateful for her voice. But I just wanna say on the front end, may we be women who don't run from hard questions and may we be women who don't run from tense, heavy conversations. Because this place is where light can absolutely and does often break through. In the midst of hard questions, in the midst of a lot of questions with no answers, in the middle of repenting, good stuff happens. And so enjoy, enjoy this episode of the Go and Tell Girls podcast. It might not feel great and it might not make you laugh a ton, but I pray that it will encourage you and I pray that it will equip you to further do the work that God has called you to. I have a treat for you today. I have a new friend joining us on the podcast for an interview. And this podcast episode may be different from past ones that you've listened to. We're not going to ask them the typical questions, but we're going to tell a true and honest story of how we met and the conversations that we've begun to have. So thank you, Monique, for joining us. And thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Mm, My actual pleasure. Tell us what you do. Start there. What do you do? What does life look like for you? Okay. Well, I love Jesus. So that's pretty simple (laughs) right there. I am a mom. I'm a wife. I'm married to my high school sweetheart. So we've been together for like over half of my life. Mm. Um, (laughs) And we have two kids together and I run a business. I am a published author, relationship and diversity coach. And I'm also an international speaker and educator. And To add one more thing to that, I am the creator of Shine Brighter Together, which is basically like this community that exists in my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, It's for for women to be encouraged in building healthy relationships and in the work of racial unity. I love that. I love that. How long have you and your husband been married? We've been married for 13 years. I was wondering because I'm trying to remember. I've been, what, when did you get married? What, you said 2005? Yep, 2005. What month? December. Okay, I was just curious because I kind of perceived that you and I are around the same age. Yeah. And I've been married 13 years too. What? Almost 14 years. Our, our anniversary is in July, so we're coming up on 14 in a few months. Oh um, my goodness. And we're also high school sweethearts. What? Okay, stop, stop. Yeah, when you started saying that, I was like, oh, we should talk about this sometime. We'll, we'll have to mm-hmm. share. Okay, so let's let's go back. You and I are new friends, like two weeks old. <laughs> yes, we are very new, very new. 
I got a message from you on Instagram, which is not unlike messages I've received before. Tell me about why you sent it, how you sent it, what you sent. Yeah, so I have been doing this work of very intentional hands-on racial unity for about three years or so. And over the course of that time, I've become more aware of spaces that are not representative of what I believe is true community, um, and which true community in my, my belief is one that's very racially diverse, especially if it's a community that says it's for women or it's a community for such and such. It's like, okay, well, it should be all women. And so in doing this work and being aware of that, I'll come across Instagram accounts. And I came across yours actually from a friend who I follow on Instagram. I was looking at her stories and she tagged you. And I was like, oh, let me see what she's about. And I clicked and I was like, oh, she looks really cool. And so then I scrolled and I was like, oh man, there's no brown, brown or black people. So I clicked on another thing of what, you know, what you do. And I was like, oh man, like where, where are the folks who look like me? Where are my voices? And so I sometimes will email people or DM people and do what I did with you. But sometimes I don't because I have gotten a lot of mixed feedback when it comes to that. And so I basically just told you how I thought what you were doing is great and it just looks really wonderful. And I wanted to know as a believer, had you been working in the space of racial unity? And then I just took a deep breath and said, I hope that it turns out good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you emailed me back or messaged me back. I think you voiced messaged me back. No, it was the first one was a message. And I remember reading it feeling like, oh, good. Like, I, I remember reading it feeling like, okay, she's aware of this. She's not offended by me, or or if she is, she she didn't come and make that known um, in her reply, and she was open to us having a, a a conversation about this, and I really appreciated that response, and I remember telling my husband about it, and next thing you know, I offered for us to chat, we got on the phone, we became instant friends, and here we are on the podcast. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Well, and I've told you, we obviously talked, but I want to share with everyone listening so they can hear what my response was. And like heartbreakingly, that's a message I've gotten before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told you like, hey, I really care about this. <laughs> I really care and I'm I'm broken that it doesn't, that I, I 110% see what you're saying and, and that it doesn't seem as if I care about it or that you can't readily see that. I'm working through some things. I'm trying to do a lot of listening. I'm trying to do a lot of repenting. And a lot of why I haven't been as vocal about this is number one, which I hope you'll speak to a lot. You gave me a lot of wisdom. Number one is out of fear, not fear that I would speak about any kind of inequality and hurt people of privilege, but that I would hurt women of color specifically by saying the wrong thing or by sounding insensitive. I had a big fear about that and a whole bunch of fears wrapped up in that, which I've already shared with you. And then the second is that I had decided in my heart that I didn't want to be vocal about things until I had sorted some stuff in my private life, meaning I wanted to be living out in my private life, Mm -hmm. more diversity more inclusivity before I 
I, I didn't want to do that in a token way at all. I didn't want to do it in a way that was like, look at me. I live this very diverse life. I, want, I just truly do want to live a more diverse life. I want to live a more open life. I want to live a more colorful life. And I, I've just learned that most of the good things that God calls us to do or to shift or to change about ourselves have to happen really privately first. Mm-hmm. You know, you asked me that day, we talked on the phone. You said, what do you think is keeping white women from doing this important work? And you and I came up with a lot of different answers together, mm-hmm. but speak to that first one. We're scared. We're scared. Yeah. We're going to say the wrong thing. Will you speak to that first? Yeah. And that fear, we have to understand as believers that fear is not of God. And so anytime that fear shows up, it is to protect us often from something that we think is going to harm us. And in some ways, fear can be useful. Like you don't want your child to jump in front of a moving car because they feel afraid that they might die. Like that's a pretty reasonable thing to be cautious of. Unfortunately, sometimes our fears are amplified in areas that they don't necessarily need to be. And in this particular case of anti-racism, a lot of white women are afraid of things that really sums up to them being afraid of, you know, feeling ashamed or embarrassed or rejected. But when we peel that back a little bit and we really get to the root of that particular fear, that fear is trying to self-preserve. That fear is trying to preserve you, your comfort, and that's incredibly problematic for people of color because what is happening is that you are centering yourself, your comfort over the literal lives of people of color that are like literally dying because this work is not being done. So you're centering your need to be comfortable, to feel safe in regards to your emotions over someone's freedom and liberty and dignity and to actually live and and move in this space without being impacted in a way by racism that can either alter the trajectory of their life or completely end their life. Mm. And so that fear, when you look at it and say, wow, I think I'm really just trying to preserve myself. A lot of women, I like to think of it in this way is, you know, ignorance is bliss. It's nice to not know certain things because then you don't have to care and be deeply moved by them to want to actually do something. And so the next thing that comes with that fear, once you kind of say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to try to preserve myself in this particular, like I'm not in any danger by trying to actually work in racial unity. That's, I'm not asked to risk my life. No one's asking you to do that. But then what happens is, okay, well, now that I'm aware of this, but now I feel completely overwhelmed with what to do. Like, what do I need to do? I don't, I don't really understand. And I think that overwhelming feeling can be incredibly intimidating and can make you feel very stuck. And so a lot of women stay there. They stay in that, I know there's a problem. I know there's something that I probably should do. Hmm. I don't want to really prioritize myself, but I also don't really know what to do. And because I'm afraid that I might hurt someone, which is really kind of centering my feelings. So you kind of still go back to that. I'm just going to stay where I know and, and staying where you know is dangerous for someone like me. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm right back at our phone call where I just, yeah. yep. Yeah. Okay. It, it is. My fear is still about me. Even yeah. when it's about hurting someone else saying the wrong thing. What I know to be true in every other scenario is that if I say the wrong thing, 
I apologize and I grow and I'm, and I'm, I move on. Mm-hmm. But if mm-hmm. I, if I give into this fear too much, it's, it is, it keeps me safe and harms yeah. others. Yeah. Right. It keeps you without having to feel that discomfort of embarrassment or most people don't wake up in the morning and say, how many mistakes can I make today? I want to go and make as yeah. many possible mistakes yeah. as I can. You know, most people don't wake up wanting to do that. So when we do, it just goes against our nature of wanting to be perfect. You yeah. know, our na- nature of wanting to be right, you know? And so when you are put in a position where you don't really know, and there's chances that you won't be right, and there's chances that you are going to make mistakes, that's incredibly intimidating mm-hmm. and yeah. incredibly humbling. But it positions us to say, you know what, God, this isn't for me to do in my flesh. This is why I need the Holy Spirit, because my flesh says run. My flesh says protect myself. And I just want to like close my eyes and stay away from this. That's what flesh flesh says. Yeah. Okay. I want to I want to set up this next question. So part of what held me back from a, a lot of forward movement was also this. And I, and I find this may be true for a lot of women, obviously, in particular, white women. What we hear very openly and, and are glad to hear is that if you want to move forward in understanding racism, if you want to understand, better understand white privilege and how it impacts people, if you want to understand, yeah, any kind of cultural pain that, that people of color are struggling with right now, the burden is on you to figure it out. This is a good thing for white people to learn. Like we cannot continually go to women and men of color and say, teach us, help us, Mm -hmm. fix us. Mm -hmm. And maybe if I'm being very honest, this is something I did wrong several years ago that I heard from people like you're doing this wrong and which may have wrongly caused me to go a little bit more inward and just like, okay, then I'll privately try to figure this out. I'll read what I can. I'll sort out what I can. But right, this is, this is, if you've never heard this before, it's wildly important, white women, that we not go to people of color and say, like, teach us, help us figure this out. That we carry the burden of, we can't even ask a million different scenarios about, like, what if I say this? Or what if I do this? Or what if I try this? Because that is then putting the burden back on the person who has suffered the injustice, right? Mm-hmm. So what I kept saying to you on the phone and what I've kept saying to you since we first talked is I'm, I'm so grateful for your generosity in this mission God's given you mm-hmm. in that you absolutely do not have to instruct or teach white women that that burden is not on you. And yet you have this God given mission to guide people towards <laughs> a more kingdom-centered view of diversity. Yeah. So can you talk about receiving that call and what's been hard about that? Yeah. So before I say that, let me say real quick, I don't mind people asking me to teach them as long as they pay my invoice. Yep. So um, it's just like with anything else, you know, you, you meet a dentist, on a bus, you probably wouldn't open your mouth and say, hey, can you tell me what you think of this cavity back here? That would be really rude and uncomfortable for everyone around. But I think because people try to make this very complicated, like, and it is a very complex issue, but 
it's also an issue that there are a lot of sources and, re and people out there who are teaching and creating spaces that you can willfully and gladly walk into for a fee. Yeah. And I think that's okay. That's good. Um, now, as far as the calling, about a decade ago, I was at church and we have a guest pastor come and this is before I even had, had children and the guest pastor prophesied over me and my husband, but specifically said to me that I would bridge the gap between black and white. Hmm. And at the time I was actually a makeup artist. So there was not much bridging going on and it kind of just rolled off of me and I just went on about my day. And it wasn't until I became a mom of a son and he got a little older and we had a lot of the back-to-back -back public awareness of the shootings of unarmed black youth and men that it just slapped me in the face how my son could be that hashtag. Hmm. And while in college, I was very vocal about this. In high school, I was very vocal about this. But it wasn't until I looked at my son and realized there was a target on his back. Hmm. It's not that I wasn't aware of before, but there was certainly no unseeing it at that point. I'll just never forget just being in my room like, wow, this could be my son. I think that's how a lot of women of color, particularly mothers of color, feel about their sons when this type of stuff happens, parents, you know, the fathers as well. It's very traumatizing for us because we realize that could be us. We don't look at it as, oh, well, they should not be in that neighborhood or, oh, they should have done this. They should have done that. Collectively as a community, we realize that at any given moment, our lives can be taken in that way for no just reason other than that our skin is black. Mm -hmm. And that realization is something that all of us have. And it becomes that much more apparent when you become a parent. So I, that's when I started writing about it. I started writing about it and sharing my perspective. And that's when I started also becoming very aware of how a lot of people in my space that were white were very upset that I chose to talk about it. And that was extremely surprising for me because these are people who I had broke bread with. These are people who I prayed and petitioned the Lord with over all sorts of things, you know, raising our children and all these things. These were people who I thought I was safe, but I didn't realize that my blackness wasn't safe. Mm. And it wasn't until I began to speak about it that I became very aware how my blackness was not safe in certain relationships and in certain spaces. And that was devastating for me. Mm. That was very devastating for me. And it took me a while to recover from that because it was happening back to back. I would be asked to speak about race and then I would get basically rejected and treated as if I made a mistake by speaking about these issues in a way that made the women too uncomfortable. And I just remember being so saddened by that and feeling this huge turmoil within my faith and my racial identity and how it seemed like I needed to compromise one over the other and that I couldn't get to be both and be both proudly and be both with my humanity intact. Yeah. And, um, I just remember praying to God that he would keep my heart soft towards white women because I began to start putting up walls in an effort to protect myself. I began to look at 
white women as threats to me. Like I had never looked at them before. I mean, two of my best friends are white. Like my spaces are very white. I grew up in a mostly white school. I was like the first black homecoming queen in my high school. Like there's just this lot of just whiteness in my life. So I certainly didn't feel oblivious to the issues of race, but I, but for some reason I felt like my blackness was safe and I took it for granted. And I just remember praying to God to soften my heart because I knew I was called to this work and I started retreating from it because I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this work and I'm going to feel like this, I can't do this, God. I cannot physically, I mean, my anxiety would go through the roof. I mean, it just, my husband noticed it every time. And I just took a break. I took a break. I scaled back. I went and got just distracted and did other things. And just this year, honestly, and towards the end of last year, but really just this year and my surrendering to God to write the book that I'm writing and to do this work was, you know what, God, even if I want to glorify you, I want to obey you because you are worthy and you have called me to this and I want to honor you with my life. And even if it hurts, I'll do it. And doing that, it certainly has hurt, but God has made himself so present in how he's been bringing incredible women in my space who are drawn to this work and want to stand with me and want to support me, women of color, as well as white women. And that's been so refreshing because I don't feel so alone in the, because like I said, the spaces that I was in, I was becoming more aware how my blackness was not very safe in those spaces, which is so hurtful because these are people who you thought were your friends. So now I'm a lot more aware of how to enter into spaces where I'm uncertain if I'm safe as a black woman. Mm -hmm. I'm a lot more aware of what I need to do and how I need to operate and how I need to think. And as unfair as that sounds, it's necessary because my heart matters too. And I'm a lot more aware of how to protect my children and their blackness in very white spaces as well. So while it was painful, it's also been a good thing because I'm learning how to put boundaries in place that I didn't necessarily need. I knew that I needed to have. Yeah. That's beautiful. Talk for a moment about taking care of your soul in the midst of this work God's called you to do. What does that look like right now? It looks like a lot of quiet time with God. Hmm. It looks like first thing in the morning, getting up early, sitting in my chair, opening up my journal, opening up my Bible and just talking to God Mm. and putting it all there, asking him questions. It looks like fasting. It looks like really asking God to help me see the people that he's called me to and the way that he sees them. Mm. Um, It looks like humbling myself, you know, giving myself grace. I don't know all the answers. I'm not the first person to do this work. So there's a lot for me to learn as well. And there are a lot of people who have paved the way for me. And it also looks like asking for help. It looks like saying, hey, white women who want to work as allies in this space, I need you to show up in this specific way. And it's amazing when they actually do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it looks like being vulnerable and asking for a prayer and allowing people to come into my space who want to support me and allowing them the freedom to support me in the way that God is going to use them. That's what it looks like right now. It also looks like taking breaks from it too, like going and doing something fun and laughing and being silly and twerking in the middle of the kitchen. Like it just, (laughs) it looks like also having fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's never going to end. I mean, even if God gives you a new mission, this particular work of unity 
racial healing, it's not going to end in our time. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, yeah, that's good. Hey, friends. We're going to break right here for a second, and I wanted to share something quickly with you. A theme for me this year, I sense God taking me back to Psalm 18 and this idea that he has brought me out to a spacious place. And I want to live under the belief that he's brought me out to a spacious place. One thing I love about our partnership with West Rock Coffee is that they want to provide a spacious place for their coffee growers. They want them to feel encouraged. They want them to feel equipped. They want them to be given the tools they need to live abundantly and also to do their jobs unto the glory of God and change the world while they're at it. West Rock Coffee believes in people and not just the drive to survive, but to live with dignity and to achieve greatness and to experience abundance right where they are. You've heard me talk about West Rock, how I love how they partner with individual farmers and what they're doing in the world, but I just wanted to put that on the table today that I think part of living a spacious life for me, part of living a life where I believe God can move and can do things and can grow and can shift me is partnering with companies where I see the leaders of those companies doing the same thing and not just for themselves, but for their employees and for their customers as well. That's why I love West Rock because they are about abundance. They are about providing great opportunities and they are down to change the world one cup of coffee at a time. You can get West Rock Coffee on my favorite place, Amazon.com. I'll start with this answer. The question is, tell women who are listening, who are like, you know what? My interest is peaked or more than that. My heart is broken. <laughs> like I'm ready. I have been holding back out of fear. I want you to tell them just a few quick things they can do. I want to start by saying genuinely, I think this incredibly generous thing, even though you're getting paid for it, let's be clear. Um, yeah. Even though I'm encouraging women to pay for it, I, I still believe it's generous. This generous work is that you host a mastermind specifically for white women to help them better understand racial unity. And mm -hmm. I've joined it. I've joined your upcoming one. I'm very excited. I want to encourage women, look into it, see if this is the right season for you to make space for this and to give it your time and give it your attention. Yeah. But outside of that, are there any just very beginning steps that you'd want to encourage some women to take? Okay. So you said something that makes me want to say a, a step. Mm -hmm. A lot of, a lot of people have expressed interest in this mastermind, like a ton of people, but surprisingly you would think it'd be full by now, but it's not. And a lot of the responses as to why they can't do it is centered around whiteness. And, and I, when I say whiteness, I'm meaning specifically like their convenience, their comfort that kind of thumbs up to white privilege. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that you need to do as you consider any type of work in this space, whether it's my mastermind, whether it's reading a book, there's never going to be a convenient time. There's never going to be this ideal space or season in your life to do this work. So would you, cause, cause really this work is so ongoing as, so for example, I, I love food. Like I love to eat. My dad's a chef. I grew up in the kitchen. Most people don't say, you know what, I'm going to wait to eat when I actually have the time and space to do it. <laughs> and I'm 
like most people say, I'm hungry. I want to yeah. go find some food. Like we sometimes skip a meal because we're real busy. But yeah. for the most part, we prioritize that type of nourishment because we realize that it's necessary for our, our functioning right. and, you know, our lives. This work is necessary for our functioning and for our lives. And so this is a daily commitment. This is a daily choosing unity over comfort, Mm -hmm. unity over comfort, unity over comfort. I can't say that enough because there is something incredibly uncomfortable about being in spaces where you're not going to be around people who are just like you or look like you. That's very uncomfortable. It's challenging, but that's what God has called us to. So I, I want to encourage folks who say, I just don't think I have the time right now, or I'm about to have a baby, or I'm about to do this. But what about the black people who are about to have a baby and they still have to deal with racism? Yeah. Or who are overwhelmed or don't have the money. Like there's just, there's reason upon reason. But if you're real honest with yourself, the reason is deeply rooted in white privilege because white privilege says, I don't have to think about this. Right. I don't really have to be affected by this. You know, I, I don't have to. So it's a choice. Yeah. And we're aware of that. Yeah. So that was that would be the first thing I would say is just realize that this is an ongoing thing and there's never really a perfect time to do it. It's actually right now and, and you do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is, yeah, check out the mastermind. It's obviously not for everyone. There is a time commitment to it. There's a financial commitment to it. And while there is a scholarship available, it's still not available to everyone. Even if everyone wanted to sign up, it's only a few spaces. So mm-hmm. I realize that. But there's so much information out there. You could literally Google how to start with anti-racism. Where do I start? And you'll get a ton of articles. We are very resourceful people, especially women. We know how to find the answers to the things. I mean, have you looked at Pinterest? The things that those people come up with and all the creations, it blows my mind. But you know what? When you want to throw a fancy party for your kid, what do you do? You go find out the way to do it and you do it because it matters to you. So it's the same with this. This isn't a mystery. We're not hiding the answers to this. It's out there and it's available. I would also say though, find someone who can guide you in this that you pay, even if it's just paying to be a part of their communities. There's people out there who have communities where you pay maybe like $10 a month, or maybe you hire someone to work with you one-on-one. You know, maybe you join a group or a community, find someone that, and the reason I say you pay, because there's a level of accountability that's going to be embedded in that. Or if you were like, I don't want to spend money, I don't have money, like I'm totally broke money, like seriously, then find a friend who's going to be your accountability partner and say, we're going to do this together and this matters, you know? So yes, I think it's important to financially support this work because one of the ways that people of color are oppressed is economically. And so part of that racial unity is supporting the economic viability and stability of people of color. And one way to do that is to pay them. So you know, that is part of it, but I realize not everyone is in a position to do that. And I don't want to work from my own privilege and assume that that's what everyone can do. So you can find free articles online and have a friend and say, Hey, for the next six months, let's dedicate one hour a month to dig in on these things, talk about it together and go from there. Like there's so many ways to go about this. Yeah. That's so good. A book I'm, I'm currently reading and really blessed by is The Color of Compromise by Jamar mm. Tisby. Actually, Kanisha Books, who was on the podcast just a few weeks ago, um, mm-hmm. texted me and said, hey, let's read this together, which was very generous and kind of her to say, like, do this with me. So if, if you want a book you can buy on Amazon today, 
Absolutely, I would suggest that one. People ask me often, is it a good book? <laughs> is it, how, do you, how do you like that? Is it a good book? And the same as I anticipate, I'll say, in the midst of your mastermind, it does not feel good to read. Yeah. And it should not. And woe to us if we feel good about everything we read. Um, right. <laughs> like woe to us if everything we read, we automatically agree with or settles right with us and feels like, oh yeah, I just, I've always thought that. <laughs> no, <laughs> let us be women who read things and think like, I've never seen it from that perspective. I've yeah. never heard that. I've never like looked at this own wrong piece of my thinking or my thought life or my spirit or my soul. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad to hear this thing. So I would say I do not read it with a cup of coffee and like a smile on my face <laughs> by any means. Um, it genuinely has, has made me nauseous multiple times and I'm, but it's a really good book and it's absolutely worth reading. I can't suggest it's it for your good though. Right. Yeah. Like it's for if your you think, good. Yeah. If you think about like working out, you know, yeah. yeah. sometimes the workouts are tough. You, you just, you know, you're ready to quit, but you push through because you know, it's for your good, yeah. you know? And yeah. so I want to say one more thing. I want to caution the folks who have friends of color that think, oh, let me go ask them to read this book with me. I want to caution you in doing that. One, if you and your friend have never, ever talked about race, they probably don't feel safe to talk to you about race. Yeah. So definitely don't just assume that they're going to want to then enter into this teaching learning space with you when they don't necessarily feel safe to do that. And, yeah. and that, and that awareness and become, and realizing that can be very challenging, but it's just a way for you to say, you know what? I want to be safe though. I want to yes. be safe. So let me invest in that process so I can deposit into their trust bank. So they know that they are safe, their blackness or their, whatever their color is, is safe with me. Yes, absolutely. And I would say that is um, 75% of why I decided to join your mastermind. Because do I have wonderful, kind women of color in my life who I could logistically ask these questions to? Yes. Is it their responsibility? No. And while I have someone who says like, this is my work, you can pay me for it and I will give you my wisdom. That seems like such a more responsible transaction to make than to go to my friends who I could ask, but, but don't owe me their answers. And it, yes, exactly what you said. It may not make them feel safe. So don't listen to this conversation and think I could just have this conversation with all my friends. I'm glad you said that. That's really yeah, good. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. And as you become more safe for them, you might see something on the news, like let's say heaven forbid, there's another just national shooting or something and everyone's talking about it. One thing you can do is to message a friend of color that that might directly trigger and say, Hey, I heard about this. Are you doing okay? That's so good. I'm so glad you said that. You know, so that's like for them depositing in a trust bank, like, Hmm, maybe. Okay. Like, and they might not still want to open up and read the book with you, but it, it might tell them, I know this has happened for me. It says to me, you see my blackness. Cause some people try not to see it, which is a whole nother issue in and of its own. Yeah. So that's like, Oh wow. You see that there's pain that comes with my identity and beauty. Don't get it wrong. Like I'm yeah. like all black girl magic for yeah. sure, but there's pain that comes with it too. And it's, it's acknowledging that as a friend is huge. That opens up that window to maybe even talking about it. That's good. That's really good. I'm so glad you said that. Okay. This was like step one. I mean, this was not even step one. This is like (laughs) step A, 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 A before step one. Thank you for sharing with us friends. 
go check out Monique's work online. Go follow her on Instagram. Absolutely go find out more about this mastermind. I'm going to be in the spring session. I would love for you to be in it as well. And let's keep talking. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so thankful for you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I think you're setting a really great example. I just want to give you a little acknowledgement. I think you're setting a really good example for women who have similar large platforms to use your space to bring in my voice. You didn't try to speak on this. You brought another woman of color and you shared my, allowed me to have a um, voice. And that's what more white women, especially in these very privileged positions need to do. They need to bring in our voices and share them with your community, because then you're going to influence your community with a perspective that they might not otherwise have been privy to. Mm. So I think this is such a great example. And you're setting an example for your own community of, Hey, this is hard. I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's worth it. And I'm about my father's business. So I really want to acknowledge you for that. And I appreciate you doing the hard things too. Like you're doing hard things. I'm doing hard things, but we're doing it in the name of God and with the strength of the Lord. And it's possible only through Christ Jesus. That's right. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, friend. So thank you. Thank you. And excited to keep talking. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) 